Hello and welcome to Dystopian Deep Dives with your host, Natalie Donna. Today I'm talking with a guest about Marilyn Manson, the cycle of abuse in Hollywood and occult circles, um, as well as programming. Doing well, go, sorry. No, 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 thank you so much for taking the time to talk about Marilyn Manson with me. Oh, absolutely, I mean, I've been a fan, I was a fan of him for a really long time and I just stopped listening to his music, then all these allegations came out, and I was like, I'm glad I stopped listening to all that stuff. Yeah, when did you start listening to Marilyn Manson? Um, Probably around high school. I really liked Mechanical Animals and started listening to his other stuff. I listened to it for a few years until I got out of high school and started living in the real world, and I just stopped for a long time. I'd occasionally listen to it, but not really anymore. Hmm, what drew you to his music? being a rebel um i mean i was just a rebellious teenager so you're naturally drawn to anything that is catered towards that and he was definitely catered towards just being a rebel without a cause yeah um you read his autobiography uh what were some of the scenes that stuck out to you some of like just how uh angry he was and is i'm guessing you know um like his mom came home late one night he's very angry at her he thought that him she was cheating on his, her or his father they broke out into a verbal argument and it ended up where he threw a um a perfume bottle at his mom it, like hit her in the face and shattered then he began to start choking her and just the way he described how she didn't fight back at all. She was just like looking into his eyes with this sad look and he just kept on yelling at her and trying to choke her. I mean, that was just one of the many violent things in this book that he talks about. Right. Um, do you think he describes any kind of abuse? Was he abused? Um, he does say that he was abused just by going to Christian schools. He never liked any of it. He went to this Christian school up until the 10th grade and always resented it and always fought back against his teachers. Um, one thing that is abusive, definitely, but he kind of partook in it. Um, he described how he would go down into his parents' basement where his grandfather had all these pornographic magazines and he would watch his grandfather pleasure himself and described it in the most gruesome way just by, like apparently his grandfather um, had a tracheotomy and had a hole in his throat and just the gurgling noises coming out of the, yeah. Wow. I think that, I mean, that's traumatic enough as is, but he kind of partook in it. He went down and like watched it on purpose. So mm -hmm. I think he kind of abused himself. Yeah. Um, I just find these stories to be so terrifying. Um, do you think he hated his mother? Oh, definitely. Um, from what I could tell from the book and, various interviews and stuff like that even his first album portrait of an american family he had a very strong distaste for like women their role he always seemed to just come off as you know men are superior and should just rule over women and women have like no authority to control a man or anything like that um definitely like heavy mi or misogynist vibes throughout the whole book huh yeah, you've said you've never seen a Satanist who doesn't hate the world. <laughs> uh, what what drives that, do you think? How does that guide their practice in the occult? 
Well, I think you have to have that anger. You have to be mad at the natural order of things. And mm. it's really natural for teenagers, or they say it is. I, I don't think it normally is, but our society is so messed up that it becomes natural for everyone to want to rebel. And that anger is misplaced against, you know, authority figures in your life who are fallible. And then it just grows and grows till you ultimately are just mad at God and the world and everything around you to where you want to, like, uh, there's this saying in occultism, like you have to kill God to become God. Like Manson talks about that in some of his music. Um, okay. A lot of his albums are about like uh, one of his albums from a few years ago is called Heaven Upside Down, which is literally an occult ritual of pulling the pillars of heaven and earth down. Very esoteric stuff, but mm -hmm. I think Manson's privy to it. Uh, would you say that there's a cycle of abuse uh, within circles that practice this type of ritualistic magic for lack of a better word oh well definitely um i mean the higher level ones it's generations of, of like transgenerational abuse it's mm. the abuse becomes the abuser and yeah i would definitely agree with that there's a there's like abuse whenever you don't deal with it it festers up inside you and ultimately like it's like a prime motivator it's just like sex and death you get so wrapped up in shoving down the abuse that you start to inflict that on others around you and that's mm -hmm. definitely a key part of these really dark occult circles yeah um i watched his evan rachel wood music video i think it's the heart-shaped glasses music video and mm -hmm. it appears to be a mock sacrifice there at the end um and so what do you think of her coming forward um, I, I think she probably suffered a bit of a cycle of abuse within the Hollywood system, but it also seems a little like she was participating in uh, the ritual here. Um, so what do you think of these allegations and her coming forward? Well, I definitely think that she was abused. I don't want to discount that because, I mean, I understand I have friends that have been through terrible situations and I'd never want to blame them for that. But her situation is different in that it's, you know, Hollywood, it's fame and celebrity. So I think that there was a kind of aspect of her glomming on to his celebrity and his rock star status and staying with it. And I mean, that paired with um, the abuse that makes them feel worthless and that they need to keep on pleasing him. And if they just do better yeah. next time, he won't get mad. Like, I think that those two things together really pushed her to keep going through all this and i mean she definitely she did benefit in some ways because she got to just have the notoriety of being with manson but at the same time i can clearly see how it's psychologically damaged her right um and i guess she's also fooling around with her gender identity <laughs> and um i feel like a lot of that, and this is sort of off topic, but stems from just not wanting to be female after being abused so much. Um, I think a lot of it comes from that, but that's a little off topic. So I'm just going to, well, yeah, go ahead. So no, that's interesting. I, I, I haven't picked up on that. Um, how would you say that she doesn't want to be female? Are you just saying because she's being more androgynous with like shortcut hair and Oh, I think she said she was uh, gender fluid at some point. Uh, she oh, used to geez. say she was bisexual. I, mm. so, um, I just noticed that, you know, these 
terms kind of come out and have been used in popularity more recently than maybe some of the older terms. And I think, you know, this, I mean, <laughs> we could get into the divine androgyne and, and, and what, you know, all of that could implicate as far as I think like an occult kind of uh, situation. Um, but yeah, I think just to get back to Marilyn Manson and Evan Rachel Wood and like some of his other relationships. So there's Dita Von Tess or Tease, and, mm -hmm. and she was on an old Tom Green episode with him. Uh, and I watched it with Andy Dick, who is actually, I believe another known predator. Um, mm -hmm. And they were acting really sexual. And I think at the time I must've been maybe just out of high school when this was recorded. And it didn't really, um, I didn't, you know, bat an eye at that. I don't even think I saw the interview, to be honest, when it aired. He's always made me kind of uncomfortable. But just the whole meat market aspect of the the kind of set there. And she, Dita, has never really said anything bad about him, you know. So what what's up with her? Like, why do you think she's never said anything bad about him? Was it all just like a PR type of relationship? Was it even a real situation? What do you well, think? Uh, they were they were together for, I believe, seven years. And then they were married for like 11 months. Mm. Um, I watched an interview with her talking about her divorce. And she she refused to say anything, really. I think she had the shit scared out of her. Sorry, I don't know if we mm. I don't know if you. Uh, no, no, it's all, it's fine. <laughs> but yeah, he, so you were saying Dina Von Teese, uh you think she was uh, afraid? Well, I think she was afraid and also, I mean, I haven't seen anything to this effect, but just the way she presents herself, it seems like she would have gone along with it and maybe even encouraged it. Because mm. um, she already had that look that Manson wanted. I've, I've seen interviews um, with these women and they talk about how Manson wants them to look a certain way and do their hair a certain way. Right. And it seems like he, ever since their, that relationship with Dita Von Teese ended, he's trying to make every woman he comes in contact with in a relationship since into her, like, or to model them after her. So I think he kind of has a idealistic view of her, maybe because she participated or maybe because she looked the other way. I don't know for sure, but one thing for sure is that she she never said anything on the record. She won't say anything bad about him. I think she even came out and defended him. So it would it makes sense that he has dirt on her at this point. Yeah, I I don't know that whole relationship. Even though it seems like they were together for so long, it just that interview seems so um, just like such a show. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you know, Andy Dick comes out and he does say, you know. Uh, I believe Tom Green is like, hey, why did you guys get together? And he's like, well, she's the only woman that dresses as well as I do. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I think you're right about that. And, you know, maybe that was sort of, I mean, it goes back to, I think, to like the hatred of his mother. And, uh, you know, once you see violence towards really, you know, any family member, <laughs> it doesn't have to be the mother, right? But mm -hmm. um any 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 violence towards someone who and and for such a reason what a wild reason because she was quote unquote cheating so yeah maybe he she was sort of safe or maybe she's scared yeah i have no idea i just think that relationship was always really strange a strange one and i think also wasn't he with rose mcgowan at one point 
Uh, yes, he was. And Rose has come out to his defense as well. Yeah, she's never said anything. Mm-hmm. And she's supposedly this face of, you know, uh, quote-unquote, me too, you know. Well, she has a lot of skeletons in her closet. I'm mean. <laughs> sure she does, yeah. Um, I mean, she was also in, I forget which cult it was, but it seems like cult members sort of flock to Hollywood. And then, you know, there's, I joke that there's like three cults that you can join. You can be a Scientologist, a Satanist, or what I call like the transgender cult you can join. So. (laughs) Well, it's very true. Yeah. Take your pick. Um. Can you speak about some of the allegations coming from his fans? Oh, well, yes, I did watch some of those. Um, he apparently, like, and it does, it's not even just him. Apparently his dad was involved in, like, getting girls' bras off and signing their, like, chests and stuff like that. But him directly, um, he always, he love bombs. Like, that's what I've heard from a lot yeah. of different girls. He overly dotes on them, calls them beautiful, touches them. He uses the like the mainstream cult way of indoctrinating or inculcating people into trusting you by overly loving on them, you know, all this stuff mm-hmm. paired with like the like I've, I've met celebrities before and you do get that like rush of endorphins. And I think he uses that to his own ends. Um, there was one girl that um, she was 16 at the time and she told this story, you know, just ecstatic that she met Manson because she was a super huge fan. But. He basically told her, oh, we'll come back whenever you're 18 and we'll get together. I'll put a baby in you. (laughs) I know he told that to a 16-year-old girl. And how old was he at the time? Do you know? Um, I don't know for sure, but I know that like about maybe five, 10 years ago. So he's not not as old as he is now. Right. He's like in his 50s or something now. Yes, I think he was born um, 65, if I'm correct. So, yeah, he's getting on up there. No, he's 52. I was I was incorrect on that. He's 52 right now. Yeah, okay. Um, but still, if that was 10 years ago and he was like in his 40s, <laughs> uh, it's not really much of a difference. And I don't really understand the age gap thing, to be honest, because I think that the maturity level and the power dynamic is always going to be weird. Um, and I think it's super predatory. And especially to just like go after your fans And, you know, he's not the only kind of person who does this. Back to Evan Rachel Wood, you know, for just a second. Uh, Back to, like, the sort of ritualistic nature of of their relationship. She does describe uh, being tied up in a ritualistic way. I thought that choice of words that she used was really uh, hinting at, like, what they might have been doing. Like, what do you think that they were doing together? Well, I mean, I've read accounts of Manson having like a room that no one was allowed to go into that just has tons of satanic paraphernalia and trying to um, breach dimensions and things like that. I really think that um, he was trying to use these women in sex magic rituals and gain power through that. Um, I mean, he's all into Crowley and the OTO and, you know, various factions in that sort like sense but Mm -hmm. um i mean he was doing all kinds of ritual stuff to evan rachel wood from blaring music so that she couldn't sleep forcing her to take drugs berating her like until she obeyed him so i mean it was a full spectrum dominance that he was doing on her 
it doesn't really even sound much different than from something the CIA would do to torture someone. So Oh no all. Yeah. Like it's the same thing. Yeah, and I actually think there's a deep connection with Satanism and the CIA, but that's a, a different episode. <laughs> yeah. Um do you have any more thoughts on Marilyn Manson and the occult or the cycle of abuse that seems to be prevalent in like both his work and Hollywood? Well, yes, I, I think that um, his whole persona and everything, um, it's just to put out these really satanic images. It's to inculcate people into mm-hmm. accepting it as normal. And I mean, back whenever he came out, it was very shocking. But you look at what's played, um, like the type of music videos that comes out these days. Mm-hmm. It's very tame compared to what he did. I mean, like his stuff is com- you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I think his stuff also has a sort of level of artistry to it, in a way. And mm-hmm. some of the newer sort of, like, for example, uh, some hip-hop artists now. It's just so slick and gross. <laughs> just, mm-hmm. just, uh, just this level of, you know, perfected shock, I guess. I don't know. Um, and I mean, I've never, he was just, he was huge when I was in high school. Lots of, you know, goth types were really into him and you know, mm-hmm. lots of other acts. And I, you know, I was always sort of on the peripheral of that group. Um, yeah. I was more of a Peter Murphy fan myself, sort of a romantic goth <laughs> kind, of, <laughs> kind of situation. But yeah, Marilyn Manson to me, always sort of just I mean just repulsion for repulsion's sake and I personally I'm not really a fan of that kind of work and I do see the satanic messages you know being put out in his work and then now these rap artists and I I have to wonder like how much of this is produced by the artist themselves and how much is it you know his producers and everyone must have known what was going on as well so they're like all complicit. So do you think whoever is behind him a little bit also helps push these kinds of ideas? Oh, 100%. I mean, absolutely. It's it's a slow buildup. They they put out these shock artists like Marilyn Manson. I mean, there's even predecessors in the 80s where you had like glam rock and gender bending and stuff mm-hmm. like that, which was just tongue in cheek and didn't really have the satanic aspects. Then you get to Manson and he supposedly had ribs removed and right. just all this stuff. Yeah, he did, like, it's slowly building up. And just like you were saying with the rappers these days, it's just 100% obscenity. There's, like, no artistry or nothing tongue-in-cheek. It's just putting it all out there in everyone's faces. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's <laughs> a lot. I, I I kind of wonder what's, if it's a symptom of the larger sort of decay of of the culture that we seem to be in i would agree um i mean you see all the different political movements going on they're all centered around dividing everyone against Mm -hmm. each other destroying the family um rewriting everyone's roles like to where basically it's hyper individualism to the point Mm -hmm. where no one has responsibility for their own actions and there's some institution or something else that drove them to do whatever crime or whatever act they do. And this really plays into it because it, it 
absolves you of having to take responsibility when you right. are supposedly fighting against something or it, it builds that rebel mentality and what we're rebelling against or what people these days that are into this kind of stuff are rebelling against is the foundations of our society. So it, it plays right. hand in hand with each other. Yeah, I think that's very, very true and an astute observation and a kind of really, you know, to use the word satanic, meaning just an inversion of, you know, what's um, quote unquote good or or sort of other value systems that, um, that were maybe more popular, like we're basically entering out of the age of Pisces or Jesus into like the Aquarian age, but <laughs> just rambling about astrology. Um, but yeah, it is, it's totally an inversion and totally, and, and it started not just with Marilyn Manson, but you know, the surrealist art, which I know uh, you might be pretty keen to because it appeared a lot in uh, Tracy Twyman's work, which is how we found each other. Um, and this oh, yeah. whole, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just agreeing. I was saying, you know, the surrealism, the, um, discordian, mm -hmm. all those different like forms of art. It, it was, it's a deconstruction of the Renaissance art. It's, you know, points right. and dots that make an image. It's not the whole image itself. It's something that your mind constructs. And in a way, I mean, it's fun to look at, like, I love some of Dolly's paintings, but then you read about who Dolly actually was. He was a horrific person, like somebody that no one should look up to. Yeah. <laughs> he also didn't seem to like women or had a fear of them. I feel like it's more less of a hatred than this overwhelming fear, I think, that a lot of these guys sort of have towards uh, the female and the female form. Um <laughs> Well, that's interesting. What kind of fear, like fear of like not being able to compete or fear of. I don't know. I, I'm not yeah. really sure. What What do you think? I, you know, I just see the, the fear sort of based response, which is generally like violence or, you know, um, I just think mm -hmm. that, I mean, I think it has to be stronger than hatred, which is, you know, I feel like fear is the base of hatred. Oh, well, definitely. I think that, I mean, it, fear ultimately extends from the unknown and mm -hmm. women can be very mysterious and, um, you know, sometimes to men entirely illogical, although to women, they would be entire, like acting out of, you know, I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say, but basically <laughs> I think that you know, men and women tend to not understand each other 100%. And yeah. whenever, like, just like with Manson, I think he's highly narcissistic and, yes when you have that level of narcissism, you can't be wrong about anything. And so I think a lot of that fear that you're talking about does stem from narcissism and the inability to look from another person's perspective. So I, yeah. I can see how that results in violence because when you're being violent, you don't care what the other person says. You're only interested in inflicting your point of view on them. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's, uh, again, like a really good point. Um, and I think this cycle of fear plays out in these sort of Hollywood psychodramas or kind of like in this kind of what I'm sort of calling nowadays a shock collar society, you know, mm -hmm. where we're just presented all these sort of horrifying images. And um, 
and I get that that art movement was really trying to tear down things, but I I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if that's the solution. Although it seems that you know a lot of it's based in chaos and like creating chaos, and uh, yeah, change obviously is going to come from from that. But there, I, I feel like there must be some other drivers of change that might be less terrifying. <laughs> um, so uh, I think, yeah, Manson to me represents someone who's who's pretty well versed in the artistic uh, area and like the collaboration of the arts with the occult, which has been there for a long, long time. Um, and he's just like incorporated all of these things into his uh, persona and his art. And I mean, do you think the ballet room is separate from the, the satanic room or... I mean, that's the one that I heard about where I guess he would lock women inside of this ballet room or something. In his... Well, I've heard it. I've heard him or people say that it's called the naughty girl room. Is that oh, the same thing? Maybe. I don't. <laughs> I'm, I, I don't know. Sorry, everyone listening. I'm not a huge fan. So I didn't. I, I watched some videos. I'll be honest. I didn't do a huge amount of research. Uh, well, no, yeah, it's, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> well, yes, I, I'd assume that the naughty girl room and the ballet room would be the same thing because that's yeah. what that's where I've read that he locked girls up in and would just isolate them, which is another component of, you know, dissociating one's personality or their identity is locking them in isolation. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that, that in, and of, in and of itself is a satanic practice. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's what supposedly the elites do to their children to create alternate identities. I mean, you see it with um, dissociative identity identity disorder patients, like people with multiple personalities. And a lot of um, a lot of celebrities, more than I could probably name right now, claim to have that, like Nicki Minaj, she has all of her different yeah. personas. Um, there was even this um, artist a few years back who had the same kind of goth like persona as Manson, but she was a female and she was specifically billed as a artist that has multiple personalities. Her name was Charlotte sometimes. If you ever get a chance to look into her, her music videos are really creepy and it, it exemplifies what we're talking about in that they try to force, you know, they, they force people into traumatic situations where their mind has to shatter to protect the central ego. Right. Do you think that, if it was a ballet room and there was a mirror in there that the mirror uh, has any sort of significance because I've been seeing a lot of mirror stuff recently, specifically with that halftime Super Bowl show where he's in that sort of maze of mirrors. And there's also, I guess, a maze of mirrors at Versailles, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. So do you think the mirror uh, represents something significant within this kind of practice? Oh, well, yes. I mean, the mirror symbolism, like in MKUltra, um, mm. that plays into it heavily. You're supposed to see your reflection as another, like, person. You're supposed to dissociate from even how you look in the mirror. And, like, you can see it in tons of different symbolism whenever they have an artist that has a shattered mirror. That's whenever the um, dissociation is complete and they have multiple personalities. So having a mirror in that room where you have to be isolated and just staring at yourself for hours on end after being kept up for days would absolutely contribute to the fracturing of your psyche. Hmm. 
Do you think there's some sort of element that must work in this kind of practice? Because he's obviously, Marilyn Manson is very famous. He's sort of on his way out, but people still know who he is. Well, yes. I mean, I think there's a certain element of vampirism in all of his Mm. relationships where he's taking their energy and in exchange, like transforming them or making them into, you know, people with these. I mean, every single woman that's come forward has talked about PTSD, nightmares, living in constant fear. And these are all Mm. symptoms of a highly abusive relationship. And I mean, definitely he has like his own persona and everything and he's not an he's not a dumb person i mean watch his right. interviews well spoken but um, i do agree with you that he is on his way out and i think this is kind of hollywood burying him and all of his secrets as much as they can right why do you think they let these men just because they're complicit but why do you think they just let it go and then we hear these stories and i don't really want to get into why it takes women so long to come forward there's a lot of reasons Mm -hmm. for that but i just think it's uh it's really interesting like towards the yeah the end of his kind of career like yeah i guess they're just putting him out to pasture as a part of some kind of like humiliation ritual well in a way i I would assume um definitely it's just to i guess it's kind of like the changing of the guards but as Mm -hmm. far as why they let it go on for so long well it's it's really, I mean, you, you see these women and they, they can't come forward for so long because he's still famous. He's still on the stage. He's still getting interviews and CD deals. It's a silencing technique. And you know that it's not just him up there. It's not just one man. There's an entire industry that's behind him that allows him to do this. So, you know, there's muscle behind you saying anything. So, I mean, there are more aspects to it, especially whenever you've been abused like that. Um, I mean, I've read tons of stuff like that, and I understand you don't want to get into that aspect, but that coupled with the power of the music industry that, I mean, there's no shortage of dead bodies in their closet. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the entertainment industry on its own is already sort of a perfect front for that, and Mm -hmm. its roots in history are in, you know, that realm of prostitution and and that kind of thing. So it's, I mean, people always act really, well, I don't know if they're shocked or if they're acting shocked, but I, it's, to me, it's just kind of par for the course from these people who seem entirely sadistic. And I, uh, I don't know why, <clears throat> I don't know why they get to control all of our entertainment. And I guess it's just uh, programming. Well, that and just the sociopathic nature of power, like people who are willing to do more heinous things naturally gravitate up the power pyramid and the more naturally sadistic people always will make it to the top because they're willing to do things that more moral people aren't. Yeah. Um, Do you think that's just sort of inevitable? Like it just kind of is and there's, is there anything... I mean, I don't feel the need to do to do anything. I like talking about it and criticizing it, but I'm not sure what else other than, I mean, do you think it's just sort of part of human nature to do this kind of thing? And, and they're placed in this sort of, I mean, celebrities are such a strange convention, aren't they? You know, mm-hmm. sort of like false little gods that we're all supposed to love and, 
you know, wow, we're, we know everything about their lives. Um, it's, I think, you know, the Hollywood is definitely um, doing a lot of really strange programming and it's just gotten worse. I feel like I don't, I don't even think things are as watchable as they used to be, but maybe that's me just getting old. I don't know. Oh no, it's not just you. I mean, the, the rate at which they're cranking out everything right now. I mean, we have like, it used to be just like one TV's channel, like, you know, 50 years ago. Now, then we had like cable and satellite. And now we're getting into a realm where Amazon's producing stuff. Um, there's all these different media creation engines. It is, it's just about churning it out, not so much producing quality. Um, but as you're like, what you were saying about, is this inevitable? I'd, I'd hope not, but honestly, I think it is just kind of a law of nature that the predator always, you know, overcomes the prey. And as long as we allow ourselves to be that prey, it's going to continue to, to, to be this way. So I think it really takes people just standing up or, you know, not allowing it in their own lives and right. encouraging others to do that too. Yeah. And I guess, uh, it is a good thing that all of these women are coming forward. Um, but it is, it is always sad to me that it takes so long and it takes so many different people saying the same story. Um, mm -hmm. Like Cosby, for example, is, you know, one of those cases that just, wow, how long did that go on for years and years and years? Um, oh my gosh. Yes. And I mean, it's a little bit of a tangent, but mm -hmm. if you've ever seen that show um, 30 rock with Tina Fey, Mm -hmm. They were joking about um, Bill Crosby being a, pred a predator 10 years before it actually went to trial. They also talk about Epstein being a sexual predator. I mean, um, Weinstein. They talk about Weinstein being a predator. So these things are known in those circles. It's an open secret. Yeah, it's it's pretty appalling that they all just sort of let it happen. But it's also, I think you're right with this sort of like power pyramid situation where all the worst people are up there at the top um, churning out material to kind of keep the machinations of their system running uh, to keep us all sort of isolated and in fear and not talking to each other. You know, mm -hmm. I think men and women should talk to each other and we should, you know, talk about what and how we're different because I, I believe that we are not in a sexist way, but like just, I don't know. I think these conversations are really important. And so hopefully, you know, more of these conversations happen and more people get used to the idea that these people are operating what I believe to be a satanic cult. Well, it really is a satanic cult. And I think that you're absolutely right just about talking. Um, the way that we're told nowadays is to get your power back, to get your voice back, to shout down everyone until you're heard. Those aren't ways of working together. Those are ways of asserting your dominance and controlling other people, which is not helpful to either, like to either yeah. party. You know, it's right. that's that's how we're told to face life and each other is just through forcing our will on each other, which is entirely a Crowley. Like, yeah, it's the lemma, basically. It's incredibly satanic. Do as thou will. Will shall be mm -hmm. the whole of the law. It's really all you need to know, which is, you know, I feel like as a metaphor, Satanism is really just like pure ego. You know, it's it's mm -hmm. purely ego driven. It's that's all you really need to know about it. If people are sort of hesitant to be like, 
well, I don't know about all this esoteric and like occult stuff. I'm like, well, I mean, you can really apply it as a broad metaphor if you want, you know, you don't Mm -hmm. have to be literal about it. But I mean, I am being literal when I think that, yeah. And, and Scientology is also closely, closely related, you know, Uh, they were all like hanging out together. (laughs) Uh, Oh, definitely. And Scientology is just, it's connected to intelligence the same way like the CIA and the Temple of Set is. Um, I'm sure you know about all that stuff, but Scientology is a giant intelligence agency yeah. positioning itself as a church. And so is Mormonism to an extent, as far as I understand. They're deeply involved in state-run apparatus. Well, yeah, they've got, um, what is it, Utah. Is that is that where it is? Salt Lake City? Yeah, mm-hmm. they've got that place locked down, so... Oh, something that I thought was interesting. I don't know if you're familiar with like the West Memphis Three. Uh, I, he he was a huge supporter of theirs. Oh yeah, he was friends with Damian Eccles and still defends them, claiming they're innocent and everything. It's just sickening. Yeah, the evidence does not point to their innocence whatsoever. <laughs> um, not only that, but they idolize him, just like you were saying. Um, they. I forget who the third one was, but it was, um, God, what's his name? Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. I think it was Manson. It might have been someone else, but they've got all matching I Ching tattoos on yeah. their arms with Damien Eccles. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. So I think we can point to Johnny Depp and, and uh, Marilyn Manson as being, you know, I think that's proof that there's at least some satanic element in Hollywood. Oh, it, it, just on the surface level, like we yeah. go, I know we could go so much deeper. Right, exactly. Um, but I don't know if people are ready for that. You know, I can show them proof where it's like, listen, they supported these child killers, basically, who did some sort of ritual sacrifice and mm-hmm. now are totally free. And it was, yeah, him, uh, Johnny Depp, uh, Margaret Cho is one of these people who supported mm-hmm. them. So I have a good friend that's really into the whole uh, case and she's pretty obsessed with it. So now I think it's sort of transferred over, but I do find it really interesting. Oh, and Peter Jackson is part of that crew. Mm -hmm. Um, And they all seem to hang out with like Amanda Knox too. So it's just like a whole crew of, of great people. I've actually met Peter Jackson and he was disgusting. I would think so from his films. I mean, I remember his older films, like Bad Taste. Like, what a gross movie, you know? Oh, I know. Yeah, and he was lionized by the Lord of the Rings trilogy and everything. Mm -hmm. But I think he got to that position to make that movie because he'd done so many gross things before. You know, it's step by step. You have to work your way up the ladder. Yeah, these guys always participate in some sort of schlock first, like James Gunn, who I guess you're looking into right now. And I've looked mm-hmm. into myself, but was, you know, involved in trauma. So, yeah, just I don't know if that's also sort of a humiliation ritual sort of thing where it's like, well, you want to make it in this business. you got to direct some really gross stuff. I don't know. Well, I think it is because, I mean, if you look, a lot of the major celebrities, like especially the male actors, they always have to do a gay movie before they can go on to be um, stars. Yeah, isn't like, that I, why David Chappelle was? It was rumored that's why he didn't want to be in Hollywood or something anymore. Yeah, they tried to dress him up in a dress, and you know, 
it was one of those last minute, the director talking with the producer behind his back and he just wasn't going to have it. So he left it all together. Yeah, that's, I think it's really interesting how they must operate and how I think a lot of these women like Evan Rachel Wood started a movie when she was very young, I believe called 13. And it was, you know, it's not so far off of like reality, you know, girls hanging out, smoking some pot, whatever, you know, mm. that, that stuff happens. But the way that it was depicted and everything is obviously overtly sexual and the way that, you know, film works, the way that the camera works. And, you know, you can tell these are very um, thoughtful camera placements, you know, where you're following this a young woman, not even a woman's body, right? It's so, mm -hmm. it's so upsetting, and I and I just wonder if it's part of some larger kind of like mind control situation of the public. Oh well, definitely. I mean, I've I've noticed one thing that I haven't really seen pointed out in most places, but um, or pretty much anywhere. But if you watch dialogue scenes in movies or TV shows it um there'll be a face on the left part of, part of the screen then a face on the right part of the screen and as they're talking it will switch back and forth and if you notice it's having your eyes move back and forth like you're watching a pendulum it's yeah. literally lulling you into a trance that's really interesting i've never thought of that um just watch it next time you watch a movie you'll notice that every dialogue scene it switches from the left side to the right side of the screen that's true. And I did read a study at some point where uh, certain, I think they were maybe autistic people, don't look at the same parts of the screen mm -hmm. as, as uh, let's say, someone who doesn't have autism. So I think it's fascinating. They know the techniques on, on what to do. And I think they've known for quite some time now. Oh, yes. I mean, they're, they tried all sorts of different things in the 80s with higher um frame rates and lower frame rates and color palettes and everything they've been they've been fine-tuning the medium of film for a long time yeah so where does marilyn manson fit in with all of that i mean i think what happens is they take someone who's talented and i'm not saying the man isn't a talented person although i guess trent reznor wrote a lot of his music from what i understand so i don't know how talented he actually is but they take someone who's a performer who can, you know, basically talent is what they say in the industry. And they need to use their talent to uh, propagate their message and sort of, you know, this ultimately, again, vampirism where they're kind of sucking the energy from this performer and then, mm -hmm. you know, kind of reflecting it out onto the society at large. So where do you think Manson fits in with his music? Like you said, there was kind of a progression. Like we had some shocking acts in the in the eighties, but I don't know. I, I felt like he was also a little. He was doing it. It wasn't as shocking as I felt like he wanted it to be. Even does mm -hmm. that make sense? No, it does. And actually, there's an interesting. I mean, this is like years and years ago that I was reading about it because I was still interested in in him at the time. Um, he wanted, I think that the movie actually did come out, just not the way he wanted to, but he was working on this movie called Phantasmagoria. And in one interview, while he was still working on the film, he said that he wanted to put as much subliminal um, messaging, as much, you know, mind control. He said that he wanted to max it out to where if you watch this film, you would just be utterly in a trance. And 
after that interview, he lost funding. Uh, like it was it was really interesting. He basically wanted to make the most mind controlled movie available or like up to date and funding ultimately got pulled and it just got sh like shelved. There is a Phantasmagoria movie, but I don't know if it's the same one that Manson wanted to direct, but it just shows that he's directly aware of all these influences that music and television and film can have on people. And he wanted to use it to the nth degree. So. Yeah. As so would you call yourself a former fan or are you still a fan? Um, I would definitely call myself a former fan. I, it, it, that's the thing. When you look into all these different people that you grew up idolizing, you realize all of them are shallow, you know, dirty people that you should have never looked up at. And I can't say that I don't like some of his music, but I definitely don't respect him as like a person or, you know, take anything he says for, you know, having any value. <laughs> Right. Do you and this is a this is just more of a philosophical question, but do you think you can separate art from the artist? Is that even possible? That is a really philosophical question <laughs> because I think a lot of it has to do with intent. Like mm. um there I think that there is like a spirit, for lack of a better word, inherent in someone's art and mm. whenever you consume it as much as you're just taking in like the physical sound vibrations or the light coming from the screen, there is this intent behind it. And mm -hmm. you're really connecting with something that the artist was trying to pull down from, you know, their own mind or the imaginal realm, whatever you'd like to call it. Right. So I think you can, I think you can distance yourself from that, but there's, there's not, there's no way to completely cut off that influence. What what was the point where you looked at Marilyn Manson's work and you were like, I don't know about this anymore and I, I'm not sure. Was it some sort of, were you on a journey yourself where you're like, I'm not sure I want to ingest this kind of stuff anymore? Well, it really was Tracy Twyman. Um, she mm -hmm. put out this article about him on Strange Love. And if you look at that Heart Shaped Glasses music video, mm -hmm. it's all about Alice in Wonderland. Yep. The pink glasses and everything are go back to Crowley directly. And he even has the pedophilic um, spiral tattooed on his wrist. And once I just read through everything that she was talking about, it finally clicked. And I finally was like, OK, I've been ignoring all these negative things that he puts out there for so long that I just I said to completely cut it off and just say, no, like I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah, I think especially in this time period that we find ourselves in, maybe a lot of this negative um, entertainment isn't something that we are even seeking, you know, mm -hmm. and they're just sort of hitting us over the head with it like a battering ram. But you don't have to participate, you know, you can totally turn it off and, you know, open a book or do something, go for a walk. <laughs> you know, there's lots of things that you can do to sort of disconnect yourself from this um, what I find to be like really pretty horrifying material. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I say that as someone who's watched a lot of these films, horror movies, you know, from the eighties, but I also saw a sort of progression of things being a little bit less. Uh, I mean, some of that stuff was really gross, but things have gotten to the point where they're so gross and it's just basically pornography, you know, mm -hmm. uh, like gory, yeah it's there's nothing 
left, there's no like kind of art or, or story or message in a lot of these films. And I, I wonder, I wonder about that. And, and you know, thanks for joining me and uh, giving us some of your time. And, you know, I think that was really interesting and revealing about, because uh, I think a lot of people look at this entertainment, they don't know, well, it's gross, it's weird, but they don't know that there is a very much deeper meaning underneath all of it. So uh, thank well, you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure.